Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 39, and today I'm joined by Emily Beck, a renewable energy and sustainability leader and the uh, the host of the iSpy Energy YouTube channel. Uh, Emily, it's a delight to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I think this is the first Thanks for time, having me. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've had somebody who uh, is also, you know, busy making content for uh, for our new age of of uh, getting our voices out there. So uh, this is exciting, and and albeit a little bit uh, intimidating to have uh, somebody who's uh, already doing good work. So, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get past. Uh-huh. That. So, can you uh, just, you know, for my benefit and for our uh, listeners, just <clears throat> talk to us about how did you get into to our space and. You know, what's your background? What brought you to today? Uh, you're certainly very active in the space, but maybe kind of give us your uh, story that led you to today, and then we'll we'll jump in from there. Yeah. Well, so I mean, let's see. So I I'll start out by saying that I have an English degree. Perfect. So it, and maybe it's even like uh uh maybe like worse quote worse than that. It's an English literature degree. So so um. So I actually never thought for a second that I would be, you know, ultimately be in the energy industry. And I, I completely 100% got into the energy industry totally by accident. Um, and I can share more about uh, more about that. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I've had a, a really uh, diverse uh, career. Um, I mean, I, I started out my career right after college. Uh, starting a publishing company for for uh, guidebooks for students that were living abroad in Spain. You know, I'd had a terrible study abroad and 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 thought I would, you know, we'll just start a company and to to create a, a better guidebook for you know to help students have a better time. Um, uh, and you know, from from there, I, I kind of progressed into having uh, multiple different jobs that again had nothing to do with energy. Um, started a couple of different companies creating uh, uh, other kinds of, of uh, products and services and then um, and then one day my buddy Chaz calls and says hey um, you know I work for this this pump company in a one-car garage in Venice Beach California on the boardwalk uh, do you want to come work for us oh and by the way it's, it's commission only uh, no healthcare, nothing. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so, so I went to work for this company, uh, literally that was in a garage, uh, on the Venice, uh, boardwalk. And I became their, you know, quote national or, you know, I, their East coast, uh, sales director selling this pump, uh, all up and down the East coast. And, um, uh, but, but, but the pump was energy efficient. And I, it turned out that I really enjoyed working for, or I guess working with a product that was energy efficient and actually did something better for the environment. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm actually in the energy industry now. And, uh, and so it just kind of progressed from there. Um, and, and I, I liked it enough so that I'm, you know, I'm still in the energy industry, uh, just in a, a different role, you know, several years later. Wow. So is that, is that the by accident story of, of the garage in Venice Beach? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I had I had started a couple of different companies, and I'd had a I'd had a um, uh, gosh, I'd I'd had uh, an unfortunate needing to close my my the second business that I started, and so um, I was I was 
kind of in survival mode after I had to shut that company down uh, once the re big recession hit. And so uh, when in survival mode, I went to work for one of uh, uh, the, the United States' um, least favorite internet and TV providers. <laughs> and, uh, and man, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand that job. Don't, don't tell them I said that. <laughs> um, but so when my, my buddy Chaz called and was like, hey, here's a, here's a new thing for you to do, I, that's, that's when I uh, just was doing anything to get out of uh, that, that company. So yeah, and so just by luck or by chance, yeah, I, I, I got into the energy industry. So it's, it's clear to me you have a, an entrepreneurial spirit to you, I think. Is that, is that a fair description? Yeah, yep, I sure do. And um, I think I've had that for quite some time. It, it began as a as a kid, you know, selling or I guess making pot holders uh, and selling those to the neighbors. And I'd, I'd make little animal figurines out of swamp reeds and stuff like that and sell those to the neighbors. Um, and then and then I think from from that drive as a kid to create something, it grew into this, um, this, this drive or this focus on how to improve things. Um, so, so many of the products that I've created, uh, I don't know, in the past, I don't know, 15 or so years um, has really come out of a, a, a desire to make something better. Mm. Um, so, so fortunately or unfortunately, that's how I kind of um, assess everything that I look at on a daily basis. I'll be looking at a billboard or the cereal box or, you know, my most recent experience with, you know, customer service with, with Yo Play, right? I, I think how could, how could these things be better? How could that font be better? How could this photo be better? Right. Um, and so um, and so it's this constant analysis that's going on in my head that, that leads to, uh, I don't know, the, the creation of, of these new products. Wow. And, and are you you're creating products in terms of, you know, like, are we talking like patents and getting stuff out to the market or what does that what does that mean? Creating products? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, over time, I've uh, created a, a series of different products. Um, uh, I created a, a germ-free glove for the New York subway uh, many, many years before uh, before COVID. Wow. Um, when when COVID hit, I had a lot of people saying, "Hey, are you still producing gloves?" Um, but but I wasn't. Um, so a little bit too early. Uh, you know, I also created a, a mask. To wear in the sun to prevent sunburn. Um, I've created spoof products. There's one called the Excuse Me Belt that that you wear uh, going down a crowded sidewalk that provides you a, a, a cubic yard of free walking space so you never again have to bump into someone on on the New York City uh, sidewalk. Um, but then the the, the product that um, I spent most time developing uh, was a new underwear uh, for women, and so I created a new fabric technology which I did submit a patent for, and, and it's this uh, product that I licensed to a big company in New York, um, uh, and then went to work for them to, to sell it uh, here in the United States. Wow, that is fascinating, and uh, uh, probably a, a podcast episode unto itself. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm, just, I'm fascinated by that story. So take me back to the, the garage in Venice Beach, and you're asked to sell this particular pump, like what, what goes cl clearly you have, you know, the, the confidence to say, you know, I can figure this out, but 
talk to me kind of how did you come up to speed on the pump and how, to, how did you come to this realization that it's energy efficient and talk to me about those early days you know coming from your background and then having to sell this pump to, uh, to to the marketplace yeah well it was kind of difficult selling this pump to the marketplace right there had not been a, an innovation in in a pump system or, or, or I guess a commercial hot water recirculation system uh, for I don't know like 30 years and so here I was as a woman right speaking to these um, you know jaded male uh, engineers that you know didn't believe that this pump could do anything better than than what they already that, that they already had right so um, so that was a constant challenge but but um, uh, but one that, that I became <laughs> really familiar with uh, working in the energy industry, right? There are more women now, certainly, and a lot of women in sustainability and renewables, but, but there weren't a lot of women really in energy efficiency, and certainly there weren't a lot of women, you know, going around in, in rat-infested uh, boiler rooms in New York City and Massachusetts um, trying to explain to these engineers uh, how this pump works. Um, but uh, it, it did work pretty well, um, uh, and uh, yeah. It, wow. I think I think you can teach yourself anything, really. You know, if you if you stick with something and you believe in something, then you have the drive to to go figure it out. And out of curiosity, what was the the improvement uh, to the pump? Like, what was so novel about it? Yeah. So instead of most. Uh, older uh, commercial uh, buildings will have a constant hot water recirculation cycle so that uh, so that when anyone in that building you know turns on the hot water it, it'll be immediately ready kind of like a hotel right you go into a hotel and there's no waiting for that hot water it's you know bam right right there ready ready for you to get in the shower right right but um, uh, so, but that's possible because hot water is, is recirculating constantly. So what that means is the, the boiler is constantly heating up the water right, to make it available at any time. And so, so the improvement was that this hot water uh, had a mechanism that enabled uh, 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 you to call up the hot water when you needed it, but it, but it didn't have to be circulating 24-7 to, to get you the hot water quickly. Cool. And and that company continues to sell pumps into the marketplace today. Like they've they've outgrown the garage, have they? You know, I'm not sure. Oh. Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't seen them at any trade shows uh, in the past few years, so they're not not quite sure what they're what they're up to. So what are what are you up to these days then, Emily? In our, in our space, in the sustainability and the renewable space, what uh, what's your kind of focus these days? Yeah, so I can say that um, I'm having a blast working in the renewable energy space. Uh, so, so our company is a, a, a global uh, energy consultancy, and uh, we work primarily with uh, Fortune 500 manufacturers, um, also industrials, uh, to help uh, them develop their renewable energy targets. Um, uh, carbon neutrality targets, and then we uh, help them to explore the global renewable energy market and, and figure out which renewable energy mechanisms and strategies work, uh, you know, work the best to help them meet those targets. 
Okay. So, so you're primarily, you are providing, you know, services, consulting services to, to folks who are, are using, using energy, like are consuming lots of kilowatt hours or GJs of gas. Like you're providing consulting services to those who are consuming, right? Yeah. So, so we're advising these companies that, that are, are, are seeking to develop renewable energy goals or, or uh, carbon carbon related goals, um, and then helping them to to procure renewables in service of those goals. Okay. Yeah. So um, some examples of of companies that I'm you know publicly allowed to share. You know, um, uh, we work with uh, the WalMarts of the world and and Amazon and um, uh, many uh, manufacturers uh, like like Ball Corporation and and Cummins. Okay. And you're working kind of like at the, at the corporate level in terms of their, you know, corporate targets, or are you working at the, the plant level or like what, what aspects of the organization are you engaged with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these, these global goals, you know, like um, if a, a company is setting a, a carbon neutrality goal, which means that, they're aiming to have all scopes, scope one, scope two, and scope three, to become carbon neutral by a certain date. Um, uh, then, the, you know, that goal is, is pretty much coming out of the, the corporate, you know, headquarter uh, level. So we'll work with the with the um, uh, you know sustainability team, um, operations team um, uh, to, to 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 develop the strategy for them. So really, it's like a, a global holistic approach instead of a, a site level approach. Okay. And I, I want to talk in a minute about kind of, you know, what happens after the goal gets set in terms of, you know, implementation. But before that, like what, what is in your experience, what's driving, <laughs> what, what's the impetus behind somebody to reach out to you? You know, at some point you're, somebody's picking up the phone and saying, you know, Emily, I, I need, I need you to come in and help our team establish some targets and goals and navigate what it means to incorporate renewable energy or something into our world. But what's your sense of what's happening before that phone call? Um, the, what, what pressures, what, what driving forces are at play? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's getting super exciting to work in this space because companies are no longer procuring renewables just because it looks good mm. right the whole greenwashing thing you know like while it still exists that's certainly not why companies are doing it today um and i, I guess there are three primary uh reasons um uh, why companies are, are making these goals today um uh number one i would say is customer pressure mm. right so 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 why is an automotive supplier coming out with a super aggressive carbon neutrality goal by 2030. Take Daimler, for example. They have a, a carbon neutral goal by 2030. And that's not that far away to be carbon neutral across their entire manufacturing wow. uh, plants, right? Um, and so, uh, uh, but, but they're, they're progressive. They're setting this goal. Uh, but what, what, what that means for their suppliers and we work with a lot of these automotive suppliers who are trying to uh, to uh, create products that will fit into Daimler's 2030 carbon neutrality strategy. So, um, so it, let's say a seatbelt manufacturer 
sells to Daimler, but Daimler's saying, oh, no, no, now, now we're carbon neutral, so you have to make those seatbelts carbon neutral as well, right? So, so this is a, a, a pressure that we're hearing from a lot of uh, the automotive suppliers, but a lot of manufacturers that are supplying um, these, these, uh, these, these, these bigger OEMs, for example. And do you think that the um, the OEMs are driving these plans because they too have a customer? Their customer happens to be, you know, uh, the the public. But like, is it yeah. are they are they taking an, an initiative or are they also responding to their customers? Well, something that they are responding to is their investor pressure. Uh -huh. So yes, their customers that drive the cars are saying, "Hey, I, I want to drive a, I want to drive a." you know, sustainable car. That's one. But but number two, which I think is 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 um just as as dominant here is the investor pressure. And so uh you may have heard about the letter that, that Larry Fink from BlackRock uh sent to its thousands of companies that it invests in um at the beginning of the year and then they said, hey, you know, um all of you companies, if you want to remain a BlackRock company if, if you want to continue to receive our investment dollars, you guys all better figure out a way to incorporate sustainability into your mission and into your everyday operations. And so when when this letter came out, you know, it was really met with a lot of skepticism. How, you know, is Larry Fink really going to, um, you know, follow through on this? And, uh, and in fact, uh, BlackRock is following through on it. They recently just put out a... Uh, a, uh, a list of 53 companies that that have not to date followed BlackRock's um, BlackRock's advice about incorporating sustainability into their operations, and so now they're like, you know, he posted a public, you know, um, public, you know, blacklisted list, right? Um, uh, so so this is creating some tremendous activity within the renewable space. And um, for example, there are now 991 companies that have created science-based targets. Um, and I think there will be about 1,300 of them uh, before the end of the year based on the rate at which uh, science-based targets are being created. And it's not just the tech companies that are setting these goals. A lot of the science-based targets are now coming from these, these more uh, manufacturing uh, industrial uh, global companies. So we talked about uh, customer uh, pressure. Is it, you you? I think you had three. I, I cut you off. Was was shareholder pressure one of them? Yeah. So customer pressure, investor, shareholder pressure, and the and the other one is that it's the uh, well. I'll, I'll give you a succinct example. Um, it's it's uh, it's good business pressure, specifically from, let's say, Elon Musk. So let's take the mining industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so Elon Musk just came out and, and w with a petition to, uh, to all mining companies globally saying, hey, uh, mining companies, we need more nickel. We need more nickel for our Tesla batteries. And so, but he, he wants this nickel to be Produce in an environmentally friendly way. So, so there's a uh, there's this some heightened activity now around these uh, mining companies to, to figure out how, in fact, 
uh, they can uh, mine this nickel more efficiently and, and more uh, sustainably to to remain in order to get business, but it's also now to remain in business, right? It, 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 soon it's not, you know, well, it's not just Elon saying this. It's, it's many, many uh, companies saying this this steel or this, this this other kind of metal needs to be uh, sustainable now for us to buy it from you. Yeah, yeah, it, we're we're seeing that uh, fight uh, daily in the you know for those of us who still pick up the paper the newspaper occasionally in the in our local papers you know, <laughs> a couple of the the local mining companies uh, it, it's a big deal. I mean, there's some mines in northern Ontario that could be suppliers, but this bar has been dramatically raised in terms of what it means to to be to stay in the club, so to speak, right? So. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, from a from an investor perspective, or even from an Elon Musk perspective, is it there's some element of, and maybe that's what you're getting at with with your reference to science based goals. But but is mm-hmm. is there in a in a pure sense, um, you know, they, they've they've lengthened the time horizon on their risk models, and they've said, listen, we you know, girls and boys, we have to figure this out or we are going to, you know, have some risks that we're going to have to deal with down the road. Is that also, you know, it's more than just motherhood and apple pie. It is truly a risk-based approach. Is, is that all, also what's driving it from an investor perspective? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's a, um, it, it, it's a, for the mining companies at least, you know, or and, and, and for others that are in climate-sensitive locations this is a you know renewables and 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 figuring out how to operate more re, uh, resiliently is, is a is a survival tactic right these, these mining companies that are off grid and have to ship in their diesel to to, to run their operations um are 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 in some locations that that are super sensitive to all this climate change like the the droughts and the floods and well, what if the tanker can't, you know, can't get in to, to deliver the diesel? What if its diesel isn't being produced anymore because it's not, uh, it's not um, uh, economically viable to, to, to drill for, the, for, that, for that fuel anymore? And so, so more and more we're seeing companies uh, or these mining companies, um, uh, you know, developing, you know, solar uh, microgrid uh, applications uh, to be able to, uh, survive and, and to, to uh, be in business. So, so we talked a bit about the, the pressures that are driving it and you kind of categorize them into three, three different buckets. So then that, that, you know, catalyzes a discussion. You get brought in, the, the corp, corporation is saying, you know, <clears throat> for one or all of these three reasons, we need to do this. You know, what does that look like in terms of you're in the boardroom, you're having to help them? You know, do they have a do they have a notion of where they want to go and what they want to do? Is there, you know, a, is there just a <clears throat> realization they have to do something, but they don't know what to do? Like, how do you in mm-hmm. terms engage in that process of going from the pressure to the goal? Yeah, yeah. So we, we work with companies that are that are. Um, on all stages of of the sustainability or or renewable energy journey, uh, some companies uh, have you know just have no idea how to begin uh, setting a target. <clears throat> so so they first help to look at what their peers or competitors are doing, and you know to kind of establish a benchmark or a baseline 
for 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 what that for what their peers targets could could mean for them if they employ the same. Uh, other companies are like, hey, yeah, no, we we got our goal. We need to be carbon neutral. Uh, uh, like um, like Maple Leaf Foods in in Canada, right? They knew that they had to be, or they wanted to be, uh, carbon neutral for scope one and two, and and uh, and and we helped you know to develop a, a strategy for them. But they but they came fully fully. Uh, I guess what they came to us with their goal fully fully approved internally before we helped them to to fulfill that goal. Okay. So then what is what are you seeing in terms of the strategies and the implementations and it's nice to say um, you know it's it's nice to say we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030 it's nice to say we're going to be carbon negative by 2050 but at some point you have to move from you know the the nice state mm -hmm. to you know actually getting there you know are there some some real winners in terms of you know how to do that either you know, technology-based or systems-based or, you know, what what's working from your vantage point? Yeah, when, when you, uh, let's see, so when a company has uh, a renewable energy goal and a lot of these, um, a lot of the manufacturers we work with today will have a, a pretty aggressive renewable goal. It'll be 100% renewable, it'll be 50% renewable over a certain you know, period of time, and so when you're talking specifically about a renewable goal, really the way that that large companies with you know 100,000 megawatt hours plus of of load, energy load, um, the way that people uh, that these companies are are making that that load renewable is with a a, a, a power purchase agreement, um, and and most, more specifically, it's an off-site uh, power purchase agreement for, for wind or solar. Okay. So they're, they're basically stepping back and saying, on a given year, I'm buying this many <clears throat> megawatt hours of electricity. Right now, a portion of it, somewhere between zero and 100% of it, <clears throat> is coming from non-renewable sources. And so they're saying, I want to take that and, and make everything come from renewable and so they're they're procuring kind of via a power purchase agreement or a PPA for that that delta. Is that in broad strokes how it happens? Yes. Yeah. And and you know what what I think a lot of these companies are running into is that they have this super aggressive goal, right? They have to they have to make three hundred thousand or or a million megawatt hours, right, of of their of their of their currently brown megawatt hours green. And and I think the problem they're seeing is, is that well they can't really do this uh, by by putting on site onto their roof so so they're coming up against this limitation of well okay my roof is only you know this big or my ground space is only this big and there's no way I'm going to get you know 300,000 megawatt hours off of off of off of my 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 acreage here um, and so the off site PPA. Uh, you know, enables these companies to scale their renewable energy uh, procurement, uh, you know, while simultaneously, and this is the key part, um, achieving a potential revenue generation or some pretty hefty savings without paying outright for, uh, uh, you know, a, a solar array or a wind, uh, or a wind turbine. 
so so at this at the macro level or at this larger scale you're saying that they can get the renewable <laughs> credits for lack of a better term and they get it at a cost reduction from what they're buying today from their local provider yeah yep so so by not having to put the on-site solar on your roof uh, you and instead procuring renewables, let's say in, in Texas, let's say you partner with a wind farm in Texas, um, and, and even, even though the, the renewable energy is being generated in Texas, it's being inserted into the grid in Texas, and your operations are you know, in New York State. While those electrons are not going to be uh, transferred to your facility, specifically, just like you said, you are able to claim those uh, renewable energy certificates or those ener energy attribute certificates and apply it against your brown power usage in New York. And are, at the risk of getting a little bit um, technical, are they procuring through these PPAs just energy or are they producing or pr procuring, you know, other capacity, other ancillary services, or, or is this just, you know, I'm buying so many megawatt hours in a year? Yes, so a PPA is, is a long-term contract for wind or solar. Um, and, and the way, it, should I explain the way a, a, an off-site PPA works? Sure, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'll put it, I'll put it succinctly. So, so an, a power purchase agreement, a utility scale power purchase agreement is, is really a partnership, right, between a corporate and a wind farm or a solar farm developer. And the corporate needs to scale their renewable energy procurement, you know, beyond what they can achieve on, on their roof. And then the wind farm developer wants to get their, their wind farm built. And so to enable the construction loan uh, of this uh, wind farm, the corporate is coming to the partnership saying, hey, bank, yes, I'll, I'll guarantee that, that this developer here can sell its wind energy to the grid for, I don't know, let's say $20 per megawatt hour which satisfies the repayment of that loan. But the, the benefit here, so that's, that's a benefit to the, uh, the wind developer, but then when the, 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 the wind developer is able to sell the energy to the grid for let's say, I don't know, $30 per megawatt hour, well then that delta, that price delta is going back to the corporate in the form of, of revenue. Mm. So, 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 Remember when uh, pricing or energy pricing in Texas last summer went to something like I think it was like six thousand dollars plus per megawatt hour, um, right? But but corporates had signed a, a PPA for twenty dollars per megawatt hour. Well, you know they made millions of dollars in a single month because they had agreed that the developer could sell sell the energy for twenty bucks a megawatt hour. But in fact, you know, pricing up to six thousand, and so then the corporate took that delta. As, as revenue, the 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 energy consumer takes it, or the developer who built the renewable asset takes it. Well, so the the <clears throat> the way the PPAs are structured is that the corporate that is engaged in partnership with the wind developer on PPA that that delta goes to the corporate. Wow! wow. So that's that's what the corporate receives for essentially being the guarantor of the construction loan, right, to get this, this wind farm built in the first place. 
So, I mean, the, the, the knock on wind and solar traditionally has been, you know, it's intermittent, right? It's not always sunny. It's not always windy. How do these PPA arrangements uh, contemplate the, I, I realize there's a role for the broader grid to satisfy the intermittency, but how, how does that play into this ecosystem that, that uh, storage or intermittency discussion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so that's one of, of, of several risks uh, that, that are fully uh, explored and negotiated and vetted uh, uh, to, to help the corporate get the best terms, you know, in, in a PPA. Um, but because these corporates are not generally using uh, this energy to power their facilities, right, this is, this is more of a, uh, of a contract for differences or a financial uh, contract, where they're not receiving the, receiving electrons, so they're not they're not relying on these these electrons uh, uh, to power their facilities, right? So, so that intermittency risk isn't isn't uh, it doesn't so much come into play, um, where uh, as opposed to you know if you were if you had an on-site array where you were relying on that uh, power generation. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the, the power generation piece and you've explained the role of a power purchase agreement to kind of solve that piece. But when you're dealing with large manufacturers, that is only, you know, one element of what they're doing from an environmental perspective. When, when you get in the, in these discussions and you get in the boardroom, you know, does the discussion focus on renewable energy or are the so is it a renewable energy target that they're establishing or is it a a broader kind of carbon co2 reduction target yeah yeah so um i would say 2020 has really accelerated or i guess in 2020 we've really seen acceleration uh of 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 companies not just making renewable only goals, but but these broader carbon neutrality goals. So 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 while renewables focuses on addressing scope two emissions, uh, uh, companies are now also laser focused on scope one, uh, in addition to uh, their scope three emissions, which which has to do with their supply chain. So yes, carbon offsets is becoming or are becoming a, a, a very large part of the discussion so whereas you know a carbon offset may have not been the most popular thing to discuss in the past because it was kind of i think a carbon offset was really considered greenwashing before um uh but but now we're seeing companies uh procure just millions and millions of carbon offsets to meet their scope one uh uh targets uh take take all the airlines for example, um, uh, they have some super aggressive goals there, and they the way they're meeting those targets uh, it is with carbon offsets. In addition to uh, in addition to to uh, creating biofuels to accommodate scope one as well. And do you have a, a feeling or a sense of you know we've talked a lot about dealing with the the problem kind of outside the fence of the the site, but is there is there a, a preference from a sustainability perspective to to deal with it? You know, scope. I guess it's still scope one, but I mean, it's one thing to say we're going to go buy a bunch of renewable energy, but on the CO two side, 
you know, in a in an industrial facility where you're burning a bunch of hydrocarbons because you need, you know, steam or thermal energy, uh, is there a movement to try to to do that some of that displacement or fuel switching on site, or do you see the vast majority doing it through carbon offsets? Yeah, I, I see. I see that there's an awareness, right, that that there has to be a, a, a longer term, um, longer term focus to to I guess make their operations more sustainable. So so I think companies are are now viewing carbon offsets as a means to meet an immediate goal, you know, to give them some time. To, to figure out, okay, how are we going to uh, produce enough biofuel to run all of our planes so that we don't have to buy as many carbon offsets. Um, uh, uh, same thing with, with uh, some of the larger industrial companies we work with. You know, they purchase RECs and offsets to, to meet this immediate goal uh, while they, they come up with um, a, a more strategic approach to, to greening their, their operations. So the, the offsets are, are, are an opportunity for us to deal with it in the near term with a financial transaction, but there there is a, a desire uh, to deal with it on site. I, I hesitate to use the term, but to deal with it properly uh, via managing the on uh, emissions, right? Yep, uh, yep, I would say that's correct. Yeah, and, and something I'm, I'm looking into now uh, with some of the Canadian uh, mining companies is, you know, there's, there's this, uh, you know, carbon or fuel tax, right? And, and you know, these, these mining companies that are located uh, in the middle of nowhere, right, that have no grid connectivity, while they're, they're using extremely expensive diesel, right, to, to operate their sites, and, 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 and simultaneously that's, that's increasing their carbon tax uh, uh, burden, and so uh, and so, I'm 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 hoping that it might be possible for you know, while these these uh, mining companies are exploring the use of microgrids, which takes some time to come online, are they able to apply carbon offsets to to at least temporarily, um, you know, in the short term, reduce this this carbon tax burden? Cool. And are there certain technologies, we've talked about wind and solar, are there some other technologies that you're excited about to either, you know, have a play in the renewable energy space or, you know, to start mm -hmm. to tackle some of these site-based carbon emissions or maybe carbon offsets? Are there some technologies that you feel are either about to be commercialized or, you know, are going to be there or are there now that uh, you're, you're getting pretty excited about? <laughs> yeah, so... <clears throat> Hold on, let me take a drink of water. <clears throat> yeah, so one of the um, technologies I'm I'm most excited about is probably the the least the least sexy technology of all. Um, but it is uh, a technology that is that is highly verifiable and highly measurable, and that's landfill uh, gas. Mm. Where 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 landfill methane is captured and then and then um, converted into usable energy. 
um, you know, we we put out our trash every day, right? Like like I did today, and it just vanishes, right? It just it just goes away. But we have no idea where it's going. And so, um, a few months ago, when I when I went to the landfill myself to to you know throw away some construction materials, um, man, like it's a whole different experience going to the landfill yourself and standing on the landfill and just seeing all of the trash just everywhere, right? And 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 so so while this is totally not sexy, um, it, it is it is. Uh, it is a highly uh, landfill gas is a highly efficient way uh, to to take care of something that we humans have produced that would otherwise just be sitting in this landfill forever. Um, and currently, there is a shortage of of landfill uh, gas to electricity projects here in the United States uh, that are producing offsets. So 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 when the landfill um, gets approved for these offsets or to generate offsets only for a certain amount of time and it has to get recertified. So a lot of these landfills just aren't spending the money to get recertified. And so there's this huge shortage of, of landfill uh, offsets. Um, and it may also mean that these landfills are not are not continuing to, to, to capture the methane and to uh, make it into usable energy. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of continuing uh, uh, this, this technology, even though it's not something new, right? But we don't. I don't know that we necessarily need a lot of new stuff. Let's 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 take care of the trash that we've already created and make it into energy. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, gone are the days of going to the landfill and sometimes coming back with more than you you came. I remember as a kid, we'd go with my dad and we'd go with a pickup truck full of stuff and we we'd be able to go into the landfill and we'd find some stuff that we wanted to take home. Those those days are over. So yeah, we have. To, <laughs> We have to be able to deal with the the waste that we're sending there, um, and we're we're big fans of uh, we're, we're about to do we hope uh, a renewable natural gas project uh, at a landfill where you know it, it was oh cool they were making electricity uh, so it was, it was <clears throat> power and now they're going to pivot and take the CO two out of the gas and similar to a PPA they're going to have a PPA into California, where they can get it into the uh, low carbon fuel standard, and and you know then you're really there's a significant uh, uptick in the value of that uh, you know cubic foot of of our in, uh, renewable natural gas basically. So cool. No, I'm, I'm glad yeah. glad you're excited about that technology. I have to ask, <laughs> what's what are your thoughts on hydrogen? Is that uh, hitting your radar at all? Yeah, we haven't really worked with hydrogen uh, that much. Um, but I love it. I love it because there's right there's like practically no byproduct. Um, so uh, so yeah. I mean, I'd love to uh, I'd love to test out a hydrogen car and, and see how that works. And well, and if there was a hydrogen truck, I I'd like that. I'm a I'm big into trucks, so I'm excited to see what what electric trucks continue to come out. Yeah, and and that's so that's interesting because I've I've started to get in a similar market. Um, because I've already told my wife my next vehicle is a truck, and uh, I'd like it to be either <laughs> electric or a fuel cell. But um, let's uh, let's talk a bit about your uh, your you have a YouTube channel, um, so you're you're out and about, and you're <clears throat> talk to us about your YouTube channel. Yeah, so let's see. So I, I created uh, I Spy Energy, which is a uh, video blog that I really launched. Um, 
to educate the, the Boulder, I live in Boulder, Colorado, so I created it to educate the Boulder community about what's really happening with fracking in this area. So, I, I mean, do you, I didn't know this before I started researching, but, but do you know that 90% of oil produced in all of Colorado comes from just one county? Really? I did not. I mean, that, that, yeah, it blew my mind, right? And, and guess where that county is? Well, it's, it's right next door to Boulder County. And, uh, and these fracking companies are, are now trying to come into Boulder County and we're trying to keep fracking out of, out of Boulder County. We have, we have plenty of fracking right next door. Um, so my, my blog shares what's, what's really going on. And and you know how people can support the anti-fracking mission. Okay. Uh, so you know I've, I've launched the I Spy Energy with this educational fracking series, but I'm also beginning to do some uh, some some more fun episodes that more people on a broader scale uh, can relate to. And and I think the mission the mission of I Spy Energy is is to try to make these energy topics fun and relatable, right? Because is generally energy topics are presented by engineers or, or, or it's just, and they're just so dry. Like, it's not fun. It's not even fun for me to listen to, right? Um, and, and, so, and so my mission is to get people to care about energy that aren't in the energy industry. And, you know, I, I want to show them how it's relevant to their everyday lives, make them laugh, you know, connect it some way uh, uh, to their life. I, I, lo I love so many things about that and I you know I, I agree like as, as a as an engineer myself I know I can get you know far too technical far too quickly and <laughs> and get excited about that myself but know that you know the audience matters perhaps isn't isn't getting excited about it and you know energy is such an important story to all of us yet it if not told uh, properly uh, it's a story that can get too complicated in a hurry, right? And I think for those of us who are technical, we love the technical aspects because it's what makes us tick. So we gravitate towards it. Whereas, you know, I think renewables, particularly wind and solar, have have gotten the traction in part that they have because it's such a simple, elegant story, right? Whereas you contrast that with, you know, landfill gas from, you know, from our, you know, our waste that we, that, that's a harder story to tell, right? It doesn't mean we shouldn't be telling mm -hmm. it. It doesn't mean there isn't a way to tell it. It just means that if you get a bunch of engineers who geek out about, you know, uh, RNG mm -hmm. electricity, you're going to lose the audience, that <laughs> we're doing, right? So it's, it, I've watched a couple yeah. of your, your episodes and, you know, you do deliver it in a really <laughs> great way. And, uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I love that. That's clearly your focus is raising awareness uh, in a fun way that captures people, right? Yeah, yes. And, and do you know, the, uh, you know the, the show Drunk History? Have you ever watched one of those episodes? No, no. Oh, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a major compliment when someone came to me and said, oh, you know, one of your episodes is just like Drunk History. I'm like, oh, wow, awesome. Because drunk history presents history in a way that, that is relatable uh, uh, and funny, and so it was a compliment to me that that uh, that that my stuff is relatable. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And and it's if we Google I or if we yeah if we Google I Spy Energy uh, YouTube, then your channel will come up. 
Yeah, it's, well, yeah, if you Google iSpy Energy, it, it should come up. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the channel name. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, there's also an iSpy Energy Instagram page and iSpy Energy Facebook page. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll do our best to uh, to link to all that. Uh, whatever we can do to help raise awareness, we certainly wanna wanna be part of it. And uh, very cool. Well, hey, as we kind of wrap this up, Emily, what's uh, what's next for you? <laughs> kind of on the horizon. What are you excited about uh, as you look kind of to the end of 2020 and into 2021 and beyond? What what excites you? What's next? Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um what I'm immediately excited about next is is helping um, the town of Glenwood Springs, Colorado, um, to to fight uh, a mining company from from Beverly Hills uh, that that's trying to come into to town and expand its existing limestone mine from 15 acres to 300 acres, uh, which would be like right above uh, the downtown Glenwood Springs. Area and so Glenwood Springs is is just down the road from Aspen, Colorado. And I used to be a ski bum in Aspen, Colorado. So so this is a, a very near and dear um, uh, initiative for me to be helping this this little town. And so um, and so I, I do see uh, in my in my uh, near future 2020 2021 continuing this advocacy and 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 continuing the the you know the environmental uh, education uh, mission. Very, very cool. Well, hey, uh, thank you so much for joining the uh, the Energy Radio podcast, and uh, we will uh, continue to watch uh, I Spy Energy and, and hopefully get some tips and tricks about how to make uh, energy uh, accessible and, and exciting because uh, you do it well. Uh, how, how can uh, people, what's the best way to, for people to connect with you if you want to learn more about yourself or the consulting that you do or uh, your your iSpy Energy brand. What's the best way to find you? Yeah, I think the best way to to reach me is um, is email. I have a simple email, and it's hello iSpy at Gmail. Cool. Okay. And so yeah, feel free to send me an email and and uh, look forward to talking with everybody. Uh, well, Emily, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been uh, this has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you to our listeners. This was episode 39 of Energy Radio with uh, mm-hmm. Emily Beck, who is a champion of all things renewable energy. She's a leader in our space, and she's got this great YouTube and Instagram and Facebook brand around iSpy Energy. Uh, go check her out. On behalf of uh, Energy Radio and Elisa Barber, mm-hmm. Mark Charbonneau, thank you for listening, and we will talk again soon. <laughs>